0: Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, Elizabeth, for reading that to us. Let me have my welcome to Mark's. I also am called Mark and I'm one of the ministers here and it is great to see you here. And please do keep your Bible open there on page 1098 as we come to the start of Acts chapter 6 today and if you've been with us over the past few weeks if you've been following our series through the book of Acts you will know that we have seen um, several ways to kill to destroy the mission of the church and the spread of the gospel the first way to try to destroy the mission of the church is through persecution that is pressure from the outside Make people and make the church keep quiet about Jesus and not speak about Jesus with threats of punishment, with threats of imprisonment, even with the threat of death itself. But we've seen the way God's Spirit empowers God's people to continue to speak up for Jesus with boldness and with wisdom, no matter the pressure. That it faces and we today need to be dependent on that same empowering spirit so we keep on speaking about Jesus even if a culture today is wanting to pressurize to stop that's the first way to kill the mission to destroy the mission of the church the second thing that we've seen is not something from outside but something from within transgression sin of the church from within so you might remember Enias and Sapphira back in chapter 5 and they lied about their giving to the church and God struck them down dead And we saw there, tough message, but actually we mustn't be complacent about our sin as a church, even though we are forgiven by God. Actually, we need to confess our sin, repent of our sin, and show to the world this unity, this togetherness, this great love that Jesus brings to a church. That's the second reason. And now as we come today, as we come to Acts chapter 6, we come to the third way to destroy mission, destroy the spread of the gospel today. And it's perhaps the most dangerous of the three ways so far because it's the most subtle. And it is the way of distraction. Uh, People in the church not doing the things they are meant to be doing. That was the threat for the apostles here. And we're going to see in a moment. Are they keeping the main thing the main thing? Are they being distracted by other things, which may well be good things, but they're not the main thing, the right thing, the best thing that God has called them to do? Distraction can kill the mission of the church. And so we today need to make sure that we're not being distracted, even by good things. But as each of us plays our role in the church and leadership and every member ministry, we're not being distracted, we're keeping the main thing the main thing. So that's where we're going as we look at Acts chapter 6. So come with me now to the verses. And the first thing we're going to see is where this threat of distraction came from. And it comes from the problem of church growth. Now, you heard that correctly. The problem of church growth. Just glance down at verse 1, page 1098, Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now surely all church growth is good, right? The number of disciples are increasing, people are hearing about Jesus Christ, people are putting their faith in Jesus Christ, it's revival in the early church, it's a cause for celebration. What could possibly be the problem with that? Well, look, it's always a cause of celebration when other people are hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus. But do you see here that with this particular church growth, now some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And that was a problem. That is a serious problem. Do you remember how the church was described back in chapter 4, this beautiful unity, such that there was no needy person? But there is now needy people now that these widows are being overlooked this is a serious problem that needs to be dealt with a problem that has come about through this growth this church size a very practical uh, problem and it threatened the unity of the church because people are already complaining and grumbling about it it threatens the mission of the church because what sort of message is it when the church can't look after its own. Please notice here that this is not a sinful problem. God does not rebuke anyone here. The apostles don't rebuke anyone. No one's struck down dead like Ananias and Sapphira. When we come to the solution in a moment in verses 2 to 6, it is a practical, administrative solution because this is a practical problem, purely from church growth and now the size of the church. When the number of disciples was increasing, Then this problem arose. Do you see the link? It is the problem of church growth. Back in 2014, um, I went out to New York and Pete joined for the last couple of weeks for a city-to-city church planting intensive. It trains up people who are starting churches in city centres across the world. And um, it's an excellent six-week course um, run by people who have themselves planted churches across the world um, and have studied the life and growth of new churches over a period of about 20 years. So incredible experience, I've done lots of statistics, analysis on what churches tend to to grow and what ones uh, don't. And one of the classes that we had to take was one called 10 Ways to Kill Your Church Plant. Um, And one of the most common ways to do that, and one of the least known ways, is what they called blindness to the significance of church growth. Blindness to the significance of church growth. The church grows in size. Things change. The way the leaders relate to people, the way people relate to one another, structures that have to go into place, the way unity is maintained. And at the time I thought to myself, okay, yeah, I'm sure it's important. I mean, is it really that important? Is it really going to kill you know, this, this, a new church or any church? You know, we'll see. But the thing is, we did see. Because from an inspire point of view, and we started four and a half years ago, there were only 34 of us and for those of you here will remember, we all knew each other. There was a wonderful unity. Um, you would know if anyone was ill or away because, well, there were only 34 of us and you literally knew one another. But even within a year, as the Lord had graciously grown us from about 34, you know, to 80-ish, it was amazing how quickly some grumbling, some murmuring, some complaints started to come. Um, I no longer recognised the person sitting next to me at church on Sunday. It's a lot harder to get hold of the leaders, to get hold of Mark and Pete. Mm, I wonder if we are growing a bit too fast. And suddenly, the thing that this instructor was telling me, you know, we, you know, out in New York in 2014, began to ring a bell with me. As you see the significance of church growth and church sizes. Now, it could be that you have felt it here, right, over the past few months, We've gone through a a massive shift and a massive change as we've come together as two churches to be, one church across two congregations. And the Lord just suddenly, from December to January, has jumped us up from 125-ish to 250-ish. And maybe there are some people or some things that are being overlooked. Not sinfully, not intentionally, but just through this practical problem of church growth and many more people, and we need to be aware of it and take this problem seriously. Last month, um, Peter and I asked Lynn Wilson from Christian Conciliations to come in and do a thorough review of our entire pastoral structure as a church now across the, of the two congregations. And she got us to do this exercise, really interesting, where we had to write up on this A1 sheet of paper Um, all the sort of pastoral situations that we have faced as a church, 4pm and what has been happening at 11am since we joined. So we wrote them all up on on the sheet of paper, and then she said, could you write down next to each of these pastoral situations who normally is involved in dealing with them? And what struck us as we were doing this exercise was how the same four or five names kept on coming up to deal with all of the pastoral situations in the church. And she said to us, do you think this is going to work? The same and carry on the same. Now you have jumped from 125 to 250. Now you're given this church growth that you've been given. She said it's not going to work. And things need to change. And we were like, okay, um, what does need to change? If this is the problem of church growth, what is the solution to it? Well, that's verses 2 to 6. Let's have a look at them now as we see the apostles set up a new leadership structure within the early church. Let me read from verse 2. So the 12, the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. Now, I don't know if church order, church structures, leadership particularly float to your boat and get you excited, but I hope we can see the importance of it here. As the apostles think to themselves, like, look, no, we can't do this, because God has appointed us as ministers of word and prayer, so we need to focus on that and not get distracted by other things. But this practical service is really important, and these widows need to be fed. So let's appoint seven men, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, as leaders for that aspect of church life. Both ministry of word and prayer and ministry of practical service. And you need both for the church to function well now notice what the apostles don't do what they don't do is try and do it all themselves we're the apostles, we'll do everything and we'll feed these widows even no matter how big it's getting and end up neglecting the ministry of the word because how are people going to hear about Jesus and come to faith in Jesus and grow in him notice also they don't go to the other extreme and say well that ministry doesn't really matter what really matters is the ministry of word and prayer So too bad for the widows, they can sort it out themselves. The apostles don't prioritise one over the other, the ministry of the word, the ministry of practical service. They prioritise both. And what they do is they appoint the God-ordained leaders to each of these ministry roles. So you have ministers of word and prayer, you have ministers of practical service, and then no one is being overlooked. And the church can carry on in its mission. Now, we need to be careful here as we come to Acts chapter 6. This is the first time we are seeing leadership structures mentioned in the Bible, and what the Bible describes here doesn't necessarily prescribe for us today. However, as you get to the pastoral epistles and a fully-fledged understanding of leadership structure in the church, guess what? You get two positions in leadership. Elders and deacons. Elders, those who teach. Deacons, those who serve practically. And again, you need both. Ministry of word and prayer, ministry of practical service for good order in the church. The word deacon, by the way, the Greek word, is the same word used in verse 2 here for waiting on tables. diakonia two leadership positions, teaching one, a practical service one. You may have ever wondered, like, why do churches have church managers like we do here? Why have we recently appointed a communications manager? Why do we have a volunteer coordinator? Why are we going to get Lynn Wilson back in to train us up across the church and restructure our pastoral care here? Precisely because what the Bible teaches here about leadership structure in the church it might not float your boat. It is very, very important. Remember, let me give you a practical just example of this given it's so recent. Do you remember the thunderstorms earlier on this week? Um, if you, well the church literally got flooded. Um, if you were out, came out the toilets there, about right in the back through there on Tuesday, you would have had a shower. The water was just pouring in from the roof and Pete and I as the vicars of the church were like oh my goodness what do we do now how do we fix this how much is this going to cost first the heating now the roof Bill the church manager says guys I've got this you carry on and up goes Bill up the stairs out onto the top a lead roof by the way in a lightning storm And he notices that a gutter is full of all sorts of gunk and grime and leaves and muck and with no gloves on, puts his hand in, pulls it all out, cleans it up, dealt with the issue, wasn't a major leak, got buckets from downstairs with the help of some others to catch a lot of the water. What were Pete and I doing whilst this was all going on? Actually, we were freed up to have a meeting with a fellow minister of word and prayer going through a really tough time, we were able to pray with him, we were able to encourage him in his ministry of the word, and after that, I was able to prepare this sermon that you are listening to now. Something I wouldn't have been able to do if my hand was down a storm pipe, drain pipe. (laughs) Now, don't mishear me, fixing that roof is vitally important, and preparing the sermon for Sunday is vitally important but we need to make sure we're having the right people doing the right jobs. Those who are ordained by God, appointed by God for the ministry of word and prayer need to be focused in the word and prayer we need to free them up for it. But we need to appoint those with the particular gifts of practical service to deal with the practical needs of the church. We need both, that both get done. And then together, nobody in the church is overlooked. Now at this point, I want to pause and ask the question do we take this diaconate ministry this ministry of practical service as seriously as the apostles do in the early church does here i wonder if we do particularly when we are part of a church culture which does place a heavy and rightly so priority on the ministry of word and prayer But do we place an equal priority on the ministry of practical service? Thinking about leaders who can join the church, not as for word and prayer, but as practical service of the church. You hear of apprenticeships where people can test the waters of full-time word ministry. Do we hear of apprentices where people can test the water of full-time practical service in the church? Maybe there are, and I've just not heard of them. But if this is what they're saying here is true, it is just as important. Think of how highly sought after these sort of practical, administrative, strategic thinking, process oriented gifts are worth in the business world, for example. The amount of money paid to people who can manage vast teams, who can run whole companies. Highly sought after. Valued? Do we value them in the same way in the church? The church is a complex organisation. We equally need these sort of administrative, strategic, process-orientated gifts. Are you one of those people? Could you be one of these leaders? Are we even thinking about it? Can we as a church encourage you to think about it? I'm not sure at the moment we are. Um, A church we're in partnership with, Redeemer Church in New York, are very good at this. It seems that they have a culture of men and women in senior positions, making partner, whatever, in their roles in New York, but then choosing to stop that and use the last 10, 15 years of their career to use precisely these gifts in these leadership positions in the church, like executive pastors, With the responsibility to make those sort of decisions in the church, add a great blessing to the church. And I suppose the question is why don't we have that same sort of culture here in the UK? Is it because we don't value this aspect of ministry and this aspect of leadership, of practical service? We need to. We need both and, not either or final thing to say on this before we move on don't think that this principle that we're seeing here described here in acts and prescribed in the partial epistles is only applicable to leadership of course that's the primary application and if you feel god is calling you to leadership in the church then you want to think very carefully which one of those two is he calling to you you to leadership of word and prayer leadership of practical service pray it through with the lord discern it with others talk to other people about it that's the primary application there's also a secondary application even if you're not a leader in the church because god says he gives each of us gifts to serve the church and the apostle peter in his first letter chapter 4 verses 10 to 11 if you want the reference he separates these two the gifts into two categories gifts of speaking and gifts of serving practically speaking gifts Teaching, preaching, leading services, reading, praying in services, leading Sunday school, leading midweek groups, gifts of encouragement, to name just a few, gifts of practical service, the welcome team, tea and coffee team, PA team, financially giving to the church, acts of mercy, anything to do with the church building here, staff structures, to name just a few. Now, of course, every Christian is called to serve and every Christian is called to give the reason for the hope that we have and speak. But God gives particular gifts to every Christian and we need to know what our gifts are and not be distracted by other things which may well be good things, but do the main thing God has called us to do in the church. So together we are all preaching about Jesus, but then modelling that love of Jesus to the world. Word and prayer, practical service, and nobody will be overlooked. Can I ask, will you play your role here at Inspire St James? Do you know what your role is? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you don't, there's a wonderful resource online. We used it at our weekend away last year. www.spiritualgiftstest.com There it is. There's the website up on the screen. It's free. There's one for adults. There's one for youth. Try it out. And find out what your gifts are and exercise those gifts so we are all playing our role in the life of the church, nobody being overlooked. And if we're still lacking any motivation to put this into practice and do this, well, look, let's finish with verse 7 and the outcome of all this. So, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What's the outcome? It is more church growth. We started with the problem of church growth. They came up with the solution of church structures. And we now have more church growth as the word of God spread. Now, we're not told exactly what the link is between the solution and this word of God spread. Is it that the apostles have been freed up to teach the word, so the word spread... Is it actually because the grumbling and complaining has stopped because the widows are being fed and so the church is united on mission together? Is it because now the word spread not just in word and in deed? And it's a bit ambiguous, I think that's the point, because it's for all those reasons. As the church is playing its role in these two vital ministry areas, the word of God spread. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that a bit odd? Why mention these priests? Why single them out as coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, what did we see last week? The second wave of persecution against the church. Where was that persecution coming from? The chief priests and the Sadducees. And now a large number of their folk are joining the church and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Because the mission continues. Because the church hasn't got distracted by good things. Because there's a leadership structure in word and prayer, so the word's being preached, and there's a leadership structure for practical service, so they see the beauty of this church looking out for one another and nobody being overlooked, and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, don't you want that here as a church? That the number of disciples would increase here rapidly? That people that normally oppose the message would suddenly believe as they hear the message and see it lived out? Well, let's be praying that we would have this church structure clear in our minds, that we would appreciate it, that we would encourage those in the practical service, that we'd free up the ministers of word and prayer, that we would play our role, that we would discern our gifts. And if we are all doing this, if we're all speaking of Jesus, serving each other, it will be incredibly attractive. We'll see the number of disciples increase, the word of God spread, more growth in the church here this year. That's the prayer. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the richness in just these seven verses. And even if at first glance it's not something that might particularly excite us, let's talk of church order and church structures, thank you for showing us how important it is for us to think this through and live this out as a church. And I pray, Father, you'd continue to raise up leaders who are ministers of word and prayer and raise up leaders in the diaconate ministry and practical service. You would hate for anybody to be overlooked in the church here. And whether we're in positions of leadership or not, would you help each of us discern what the spiritual gift, one or two, that you have given us, that we may play our role, that we may not be distracted by good things, but each of us doing the right thing, the main thing, the best thing, So the word of God spreads. So the number of disciples increases. So we see much church growth here. Pray it for us here. Pray it for churches across London and across the world. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.